Since Missouri's U.S. Senate campaign kicked into high gear, pundits and observers pointed to a myriad of factors that could affect the outcome. That included former Governor Eric Greitens' woes, ballot initiatives, and the millions of dollars worth of ads consuming Missouri television sets. But one man may end up influencing the contest between Claire McCaskill and Josh Hawley more than anything else, President Donald Trump. Remember that word, prestige. Our country is becoming prestigious again. I meet with leaders. They all come to me and they congratulate me on what we've done. Trump won Missouri in 2016 by a historic margin. But Democrats here are hoping that the president's recent woes will weigh down Holly and help McCaskill navigate a state that's become more Republican. So on this edition of Politically Speaking, we break down the president's impact on Missouri's 2018 elections and look into St. Louis County's ballot measures. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is... Colleague Joe Manis. And we're going to spend most of the show talking about proposed charter amendments that will be on the ballots of most St. Louis County voters this fall. Um, They technically aren't on the ballot yet as of this recording, but the chances are very high, even with a Steve Stanger veto, that they are going to be considered based off the composition of the county council. But before we do that, I want to talk about something that I think I've been talking about for a long time, and that's uh, Donald Trump's impact on Missouri elections. Uh, Now, the reason I've been talking about that for a long time is whenever I'm interviewed by, like, somebody, they always ask me, well, what's going to be the biggest impact on the McCaskill-Holly race? And every time, even during the height of Greitens mania, I said national environment, national environment, national environment. And I think this is a good time to to, to maybe delve into that because the national environment is on the minds of a lot of people after the guilty verdict for Paul Manafort and the guilty plea of Michael Cohen. And Joe, we're in in an interesting state here in Missouri where the president won by 19 percentage points. Most public approval ratings that we've seen have the president over 50 percent. Barely. But yeah, it's obviously too early to to guess how those events are going to affect the Holly McCaskill contest. But what's your what's your view on this entire uh, situation? Well, okay, I think I think there's no question he's going to have an impact. He had an impact two years ago, but I think a lot of it it's still early. I am not sure, based on people I've talked to in the last few days working on an unrelated story to this directly, um, how much the average voter really pays attention to all this stuff that's going on with his former campaign manager and his former personal lawyer. I mean, while it's a huge deal in Washington, D.C., and they're, you know, I mean, all the talk shows, MSNBC, uh, CNN— Fox News less, but the point is is that they're fixated on this. But, you know, the people I talk to, I'm not sure how much this translates to the average voter yet. I think they're watching this, but I think they're also more focused on, frankly, the impact of the tariffs, 
which I think because uh, Missouri relies so heavily on agriculture and also that there are some small factories in outstate Missouri particularly that are dependent on certain uh, raw materials and products that are affected by these tariffs. I personally think that while it's only August now, that by October we'll have a sense. um, I, I think those issues could have a bigger impact and potentially the fight over the Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh, than um, the whole thing with Manafort and Cohen. I really believe that. Do you think that Missouri voters, many of which are deeply religious and socially conservative, are alarmed that the president of the United States paid off women he had affairs with not to talk? Well, yeah, but that was baked into it two years ago. A lot of evangelical groups, and I've talked to a number of them a week or so ago for the Kavanaugh story, and I've talked to some Republicans, activists, major ones in the state the last couple days. They made a deal with them, and I have some evangelicals who I'm related to. They are strongly supporting Trump, mainly because of the judicial nominees that he is making And this other stuff is just a sideshow. They're willing to overlook it if he'll do what they want him to do. They didn't overlook it when Bill Clinton did it, obviously. Yeah, but the difference was Bill Clinton was not naming judges that they liked. That's true. And also Bill Clinton was having an affair with somebody while he was in office. In fact, he was having an affair with a subordinate. Without comparing the two, because they're different, and I don't want to get involved in some of the whole things with did Bill Clinton do this or that. It, 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 it was known by the time of the election that Bill Clinton had had affairs. This is before the 1992 election. But voters overlooked that uh, and voted for him instead of uh, the first George Bush uh, because of, frankly, because of economic issues. That was the uh, key thing that was moving things. So now, so in some ways, I'm not surprised that 25 years later, um, you got a similar situation. Uh, Donald Trump, as far as I'm concerned, Donald Trump won mainly because of his economic message. Whether one agreed or disagreed with it, whether one thought it was valid or not, you know, he was promising to bring factories back and to get rid of trade deals that are unpopular. And he was promising to make these rural parts of the country that have been economically troubled for 30 years to make them prosperous again. He promised to bring back the coal mines, all this other stuff. That's what got him elected. This other stuff, the sideshow, may have affected people's thoughts, but it really, I I think in the bottom line, for the people who supported him, it didn't affect their vote. So with that as a backdrop, it's been interesting to watch how Josh Hawley, the Republican nominee for the U.S. Senate, and incumbent Senator Claire McCaskill, the Democratic nominee, have have dealt with Trump and have tried to uh, structure their messaging. So this is a clip from when Josh Hawley spoke before Vice President Mike Pence in St. Louis earlier this summer. And this has kind of been a standard thing that Hawley has done in basically going out of his way to praise the president and his administration. And I want to say a word before I do about the leadership that President Trump and Vice President Pence are providing for our country at this critical hour, because you and I both know that our country is at a critical turning point. Our way of life that we live, that we believe in, that we stand for every day, it's under threat. The president knows that. The vice president knows that. And they are fighting for us every day. And nowhere is that fight more clear 
And are the stakes higher than at the United States Supreme Court? I don't think Holly has much of a choice but to take this posture. If he had run as kind of like, let's say, a Mitt Romney Republican who praises the president on some issues but criticizes him on others, I think that would have threatened his ability to get third party funding because the president and his allies control the Republican Party right now. And Josh Hawley needs that money in order to be competitive against Claire McCaskill. And I think that the other reason he's taking that tack is he's clearly betting that the the 19 percentage point win that Trump had in 2016 is still going to have value in 2018. That's my observation, Joe. What what do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, no, I think I think the same way. Hawley is relying on Donald Trump and his allied groups for much of the money that he needs to run this election. I mean, he's raising money, but frankly, he's being so outraised by Claire McCaskill. His only hope is to get a lot of outside funding, which, which frankly— he's, Which he's getting, by Which the way. he's getting, and frankly, that's something that I'm writing about. Um, but the, the d- downside of that is, is that he has to, even if there's something he disagrees with the president on, he really can't talk about it because— He needs to emphasize his support for the president, his alliance with the president. Part of it, as as we mentioned, is money. Part of it, though, is also the base. I mean, the the base of the Republican Party in Missouri is still strongly for Donald Trump. And there was actually an article in Roll Call where he asked was asked about the Cohen situation. And I'm paraphrasing it because I don't have it in front of me. But he basically said that Cohen was not trustworthy because it was, in his view, shown that he lied about a lot of stuff. Yeah, and I think it's noteworthy, though. I mean, Senator Claire McCaskill really hasn't said much since these uh, the guilty play and the um, and the guilty uh, verdict uh, have come out. She has not said much about that. She talks about the stuff before, but she hasn't really said that much since then. But she did say this when she was on Politically Speaking last week that I found particularly interesting particularly interesting. I don't sense any problem with everybody knitting together on this one. And frankly, it probably will help that I think Donald Trump will be in here every 10 minutes campaigning for someone who has not allowed one inch of daylight between him and the president. I mean, clearly, Josh Hawley is one of President Donald Trump's number one priorities in the fall. And the more Donald Trump comes in here, I think the more it will remind people that we need to elect somebody who's willing to be a check and not just a yes man. I think what McCaskill was talking about there is Trump's continual presence in Missouri could energize Democratic voters who and are really, really unify them and make them more willing to come out and vote. Now, I think the tricky part, though, is if Trump is still very popular in rural Missouri, where McCaskill has traditionally done fairly well, then the amount of unifying among Democrats may not be as strong as it was, say, in 2006. What, what, do, you, what do you think about that? Well, I think, I think the key issue, frankly, is going to be how galvanized rural Republican voters are. Um, I think that's one of the reasons that Hawley did his um, primary night event in Springfield, Missouri. I think, he, you know, he's OK. He's while he emphasizes some of his rural roots, he doesn't come across as a rural person. I mean, because, you know, he spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C., you know, clerking for the Supreme Court. He went to these law schools and 
my point being is that he is trying to make sure that these rural people realize that he's their best hope. And I think that um, how energized they are to come out because Trump tells them to come out. I mean, if you look at some of the totals in other states, it's been somewhat mixed. But the president's had a pretty strong record when he comes in near the end on primaries of really getting his base whipped up. Now, can he do that for a general election without whipping up his opposition as well? That's going to be the telling point. McCaskill is banking that Trump being here all the time is going to help her as well as help him. And that especially with a lot of the controversial issues going on, like about reproductive rights and other things, that she can benefit by that. But I mean, some of this is speculation. It's still August. I think by October, we'll have a better sense of what's going on. Now, let's radically shift from the president of the United States to St. Louis County's executive and government. How, how's that for a transition? It's probably making people dizzy. Um, what we're going to be doing on these shows for the foreseeable future is providing kind of a more in-depth preview of some of the things that will be on the voter ballot in, in November 2018. We're going to start kind of with things that may fly under the radar, and that's these charter proposed charter amendments in St. Louis County, as well as a sales tax increase dedicated to the St. Louis Zoo. So as everybody knows who's listened to this show since, I guess, 2017, maybe, there's been a lot of friction between St. Louis County Executive Steve Stanger and the St. Louis County Council. And one of the things that has emanated out of this nearly endless soap opera-ish feud is this push to amend the county charter. In August, there were I think two charter amendments that involved the council being able to get their own lawyer, as well as changing the definition of employment for council members so that a council member could have independent contracting agreements with with local governments. There was also supposed to be a third ballot initiative that was three parts. One would institute campaign donation limits. One would require certain financial information to be posted online. And the other would pretty dramatically change Um, the uh, county council's ability to affect the county budget. And it was struck down on procedural grounds, but the council decided to repass it and split split them up into three different uh, proposed amendments. And, you know, I talked with both Stanger and Councilman Ernie Trakis. Um, Who's a Republican from uh, South County. And they both had kind of differing perspectives on where this entire situation was, was coming from. First, here's uh, County Executive Stanger. You know, I think that uh, you have to really be careful when you start making changes to a, to our charter, uh, particularly our, you know, our charter calls for a process in doing this. And that, you know, calls for uh, a charter commission that would review and and sort of vet these changes and it is a bit unusual that the council is just moving forward and making these or proposing these changes to the charter to voters with really out any explanation you know there really hasn't been much and i think that largely i think the public is unaware of the dramatic changes that the council is attempting to make um and here's councilman trachis this is not some <clears throat> zero-sum game power struggle this is simply at least six members of an elected body acting as a check and balance and oversight on county government. Nothing more complex than that. 
It's got nothing to do with politics. It's got nothing to do with elections. It has everything to do with transparency and good governance. And that's a mantra. I'm going to keep saying it to you guys until you finally print it, because that's what it's about. Well, we didn't actually print it, but we put it in the podcast, Councilman. (laughs) Joe, you've been following county government for a while, and so have I. And we both know that the county executive's office is very powerful and has almost supreme uh, authority over the, over the budget. It was set that set up that way when the charter was approved several decades ago. So, what do you kind of make of this entire situation? Because the council clearly has the votes to put changes to this power dynamic on the ballot. I could see more of this happening if uh, Stenger wins re-election over the next four years and the the relationship doesn't improve. By 2022, could we see a radically diminished county executive office? Possibly. Now, one of the things I'm going to be watching for, because, I mean, when while we're airing this, recording this, the council has yet to vote on Stenger's expected veto of that proposed charter amendment. While some are automatically assuming they're going to override it, and that may be true, to get it on the ballot. Here's the thing. Um, Republicans were the ones who crafted this charter, and they crafted it in order to have a strong central government and a strong figure at the top of government. Even though the council is primarily democratic, uh, the the three Republican members have been crucial in some of these override efforts. What I'm wondering is, are they going to be looking at this before they vote, thinking, okay, you may have a Republican county executive in a few years. You're going to be hobbling that person as well. Do they really want to do this? I'm not saying they should or shouldn't. I'm just looking at it, how they well, may, if Rick Stream, how may think if about Rick it. if Rick Stream couldn't win that race in 2014, is a Republican ever going to win the county executive's office again? Well, I, mean, there's I, w- some people I would who never say, say never. Look, I mean— my, Mark Montavani, although he ran as a Democrat, some Republicans and some Democrats thought he was really Republican. In any event, he came within 1,500 votes of ousting Stenger. As a Democrat, though. As, as a Democrat, but still, my point being is I, I think there may be some soul-searching over the weekend, and they may still go ahead and vote to override and put it on the ballot, but I'm wondering whether or not there may be some behind-the-scenes discussions among some of the Republican council members about whether or not they really want to do this on that particular amendment. Because basically what it does, um, it gives the council power not only on uh, over, uh, it, it can restrict or overrule transfers between departments of money. It also uh, can restrict or overrule um, or and transfers within a department. So it really limits an administration's ability to spend money within a department because they basically would need council approval for almost anything. And I think um, I'm not taking Stanger's side on this, but I'm just saying if you you look at it from that perspective, you are really, really reducing the power of the county executive, and it really does change how county government is run. Now, it may be better, or maybe worse. I'm not saying, but I'm just saying that particular proposal is a very dramatic one, and I would not be surprised if it does make the ballot if there's some money spent on both sides debating that 
particular point. I, if Stanger has uh, any money left, my assumption would be that he would use it to defeat that particular initiative. Or he may get some allies to put out some money. One of the two. The other one I think that will be noteworthy is the charter amendment that would cap contribution limits to $2,600 per office, which would be in line with the state campaign contribution limits. Now, people who have listened to this show for a long time know that I have warned literally for years that Amendment 2 did not cover county and municipal offices. And I think that came to fruition, I don't want to say in spectacular fashion, but I think in notable fashion with this county executive's race where I, I would say mainly Stenger, but also Montevani took pretty large donations. Montevani obviously took large donations from himself, which would be allowed under any circumstance yes, due to the U.S. Yes, Supreme Court. Yes. Um, I'll, I think there are actually Republicans and Democrats who support it. For example, Councilwoman-elect Lisa Clancy of the 5th District said to me during an interview during her campaign that this was one of the main issues that she wanted to see happen. It would um, mean for the first time ever that contributions are capped at $2,600 for St. Louis County races. That would bring us at parity with the state level. I think that that is an important step forward to reining in this pay-to-play culture in St. Louis County. I think that the chances of that one passing are very high. We saw with Amendment 2, even though a lot of journalists warned there were major shortcomings of it. It still passed with 70-ish percent of the vote. Um, well, because I think voters wanted something. If the General Assembly doesn't put campaign contribution limits in place for everybody, yeah, I, I, I mean, it would be very easy for a municipal official that wants to run for county council or county executive or county assessor to raise a bunch of money in a municipal account somehow get that money to a third party group and then use that to run for county office until there's that parity everywhere i could see easy ways around this not to mention the fact that county executive candidates will likely just set up packs that will raise unlimited amounts of money that will run independent expenditure so i think this will pass i think people need to know though that it's probably not going to be as effective as as they think unless the the playing field is leveled as i just mentioned but I do want to talk about another topic that is close to my heart, and that is the St. Louis Zoo. Um, as I've said on previous shows, I, I love the St. Louis Zoo. Uh, my son, Brandon Todd Rosenbaum, loves going there. So I, I come at this issue not completely unbiased. And, Joe, I think you enjoy the zoo as well. Well, I think most people do. I think the zoo, um, I mean, well, it's nationally recognized as one of the best zoos in the country. Um and the fact that it's free. I mean, you know, you come, a tourist, you come from out of town. I mean, there's all these uh, political entities and governments around the state where people people can come in from St. Charles or wherever, and they don't they don't pay to go to the zoo. You may pay for certain uh, attractions in the zoo, but you don't have to pay to get there. Well, I, I have to disagree with you, Joe. The zoo is not free if you live in St. Louis and St. Louis County. Well, you, I was going to get to that. Y- you pay a property tax. Correct. And this particular proposal would put a one-eighth of one-cent sales tax th- on on county purchases. The proceeds of this would go toward, I think, revamping the zoo's infrastructure, which if you go through the zoo, I think is a legitimate need. And it would also go to this animal breeding facility in North St. Louis County that was described this way by Dr. Jeffrey Bonner, who is the president and CEO of the zoo. We're talking about a different kind of zoo. It's, I call it the inside out zoo. I mean, imagine where you're kind of constrained and the animals are all the way around you. That's, that's a very, very different thing than what we have now. 
And in light of that, I think it's fair to say that we'll do a, a, a wonderful job connecting people with living things. And that's really our goal. And, and having that new facility will allow us to do that. And then we all have to admit that the north side of our community could use some economic development and, and there are, everybody knows the situation. Uh, this will do that. I've talked to many thought leaders, uh, uh, people in politics, people in philanthropy, people in business, and they've all said the same thing. Sure, something like this would be fabulous for Spanish Lake, but it's really a game changer for North County. And, and this is something that's worth noting. If this ends up passing, St. Louis County residents would not have to pay to get into that facility. Everybody else that doesn't adopt that tax, and that includes St. Louis City, would have to pay admission to that facility that Dr. Bonner would talk, was talking about. Now, the question that I posed to him that I think is going to be something that's going to be brought up is the fact that, as you mentioned, Joe, St. Charles, Jefferson County, Franklin County, and counties in the Metro East, which use the zoo often, put no direct money into the zoo. And I actually asked Dr. Bonner if they had ever considered just charging those particular residents admission while letting everybody else, including people that come from out of state and St. Louis and St. Louis County, come in for free. This was what his response was. We haven't given any thought to that. Can I ask why? Well, we're just not that vindictive. <laughs> I guess I'm more vindictive. Than you. <laughs> <laughs> so it would seem. Let me phrase it this way. <laughs> I'm very vindictive, Joe. Okay, now to be to be to be clear, this is not a funny issue when you're dealing with the General Assembly. They have actually discussed similar something similar uh, from some times because there have been, frankly, some rural lawmakers who are concerned about maybe being charged for the zoo. On the other hand, uh, some of them realize that the zoo. Uh, because of the fact that it's basically St. Louis City and St. Louis County residents who finance the zoo, that is it fair? I mean, so this issue has come up on a on a statewide level a number of times. So far, there hasn't been any resolution. Now, one of the things I think we need we need to make clear: if this uh, tax increase passes, it allows them to buy this large chunk of land that is now owned by the Pipe Fitters Union, and um, Northeast St. Louis County, and basically it would be a breeding facility for the animals. Earlier, yeah. yeah, but also, you know, people could. The idea is that it'd be like little safaris where you could travel around and see. So I think that they're hoping that maybe that type of thing, and like you say, it changes the uh, admission structure a bit. That maybe if it gets, if people get used to that that maybe there will be a new discussion in the General Assembly about that. I, I just find it hard to swallow that as a St. Louis County taxpayer now, and as formerly a St. Louis City taxpayer, that we put in actual money from our property taxes to help fund these tr attractions, which are, are great. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But the people from outside of these areas who use it and don't pay for it, don't have to pay. And I think that's going to be a real issue for county voters because you could argue this is double taxation. Like St. Louis County residents are being asked to pay twice and St. Charles and Jeffco people are not paying anything. That's just a difficult proposition to accept, even though the zoo clearly needs infrastructure work 
and this North St. Louis County facility could be really great. Well, it could be a game changer as far as them caring for the animals. And uh, I mean, I think that's one of the things that they're looking at. But there's another issue that uh, Councilman Mark Harder, a Republican from Baldwin, brought up that I think is also going to be in on this discussion as well. And I found that this is, shouldn't have been the first type of way to raise money for the zoo. I think there's other methods that they could have come up first before having to go to the voters of St. Louis for this additional tax. Also, a lot of our taxing districts are over 10% now, and this is either going to put some over 10 or maybe even over 11 in some of the taxing districts. And I think we're at a point at this point that people don't want any more taxes on the sales tax. Yeah, I think there will be a discussion. I think what he's signaling is that, frankly, some Republicans in the county may be wary or may actually come out against the, the proposal. Now, again, it's August, and they may change their minds or they may um, be some behind-the-scenes discussions about this. But, again, this, re- this hails back to what I was mentioning earlier and what you've talked about, um, the disparity on who pays and who doesn't pay when it comes to the zoo. And I just want to point this out, too. It is not unprecedented to not charge people that pay into a zoo museum attraction and charge everybody admission. That's what happens at the Botanical Gardens, although the Botanical Gardens isn't free every day. It is free on certain days for St. Louis and St. Louis County residents. Now, what a lot of the people that uh, work with the zoo would say is that putting in the infrastructure to actually collect money would probably create lines and would probably cost a lot of money, which I don't I don't doubt that's the case. But it doesn't really change the disparity uh, issue that I think both of us have well, mentioned. Well, and sooner or later, frankly, they're going to have to deal with this. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it, it's a totally different situation I want to emphasize. But in some ways, there are a little bit parallels as far as who pays or who doesn't when it comes to Metro. It was the same thing. There was a decision made not to put in uh, ways for people to pay a fee when they come in. And uh, I think the part of the argument was that it would cost too much for the equipment, create lines and all this and that. But are there are there benefits that you're missing by not doing that? Well, that's an issue for another day. But... We'll be back next week for more election news and analysis for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. Have a good weekend, everybody. Who